0: I'm John Hughes. I wrote and directed Ferris Bueller's Day Off. This house was in Long Beach, California, which kind of disappointed me at the first shot in my movie. that took place in Chicago, was in Long Beach. Uh, this this uh, opening sequence and the end were both shot at the at the uh, the back of the schedule, um, which was important for the film because it, it you met him. After he'd been playing, you know, for me, he'd been playing the part for two months shooting the other sequences. So here, first, this first piece, he was very, very practiced in talking to the camera. and He was practiced in, in, in the character. And I wanted him to play it very, very broad. You know, as broad as he could play it, um, I know, the funnier it would be. Um, parents really wanted to believe that he was, uh, you know, that he was telling them the truth. Uh, his His sister, who is one of his two nemesis um, knows that he's he's he 's lying um, and he's he 's a little he's actually is a little cruel um, he does taunt her a little bit uh, and I needed to motivate her sufficiently so that uh, you know to justify her obsessiveness you know about about, about catching him and 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 uh, Putting him in his place. After after the film wrapped, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Bueller in in real life got married. Uh, at the time that we were shooting this, uh, uh, Jennifer Grey and Matthew were, were dating. It was kind of a strange situation because everybody in this scene is in love. He's really wonderful in this scene. He he played it as a he played it as a child. Um, you know every every parent. As the most affectionate uh, memories of their children are when they are children. And Ferris knew this very, very well and uh, played it completely. And they, they bought it completely, which drives his sister insane, because she, she's always one-upped by him. She was originally, she was a middle child. There were, two, uh, there were two young characters that I ended up cutting out, which put Jeannie in the position of being in the middle, which explained a lot of her aggression. Um, the the room I actually decorated uh, a lot of it myself. Um, it kind of looks like my room in high school. I had every square inch of my room covered with pop uh, uh, music record sleeves and, and photographs cut out of English pop magazines. And I thought that his room should really reflect uh, his mind, which it should be filled with lots of interesting, unrelated stuff. There's an old um, MTV logo that was I, I liked it because it was very noisy. I used a song by uh, this this band called Zig Zig Sputnik. Um, it, was a, uh, it, was a, it was a it was a good song. It fit well, uh, but at the time it was a really crass piece of pop commercialism, which I thought uh, thought worked very well for the story. Um, there's a squirrel outside his room on a, on a telephone wire, um, which I thought I needed because I was this this sequence was shot on a stage at Paramount. And to avoid it looking too false, so I wanted something real. So we had, um, we had two squirrels trained to run along a wire. The first one uh, ran away, just left. He's probably still in that stage. Uh, the second one had stage fright and just clung to the, uh, to the wire. Uh, everybody always thought it was a fake squirrel. But it was actually a, a real squirrel. He was just catatonic. The, uh, the graphics on the screen, this was done in post-production. Um, I thought that the scene was just a little flat, a little, exp- you know, it was, it was just pure exposition. So I had the shot repositioned, and I wrote these little instructions, which I thought were sufficiently stupid. Uh, I, we played this um, this shower sequence uh, as if he were, again, like a child. Um, he does lots of things that, you know, kids do at bath time. You know, he plays, he, he plays with his hair, and he sings to the microphone, and covers the camera when he... Washes his privates, while he talks about politics, which I thought was a good context for for him to discuss, you know, how he feels about about politics. Uh, this was uh, this was also done after we'd shot the parade sequence where he sang Don So we, I made a lot of little references throughout to, to Don Whenever we had a chance, we used Don This is this was a very good moment for him. I thought he really had. This is the essence of Ferris, and he's. He's uh, quoting the Beatles, this very, very obvious uh, remark from John Lennon. And he's doing it with just the right amount of smirk, because you don't know if he really believes it or not. And I think that was sort of a key to Ferris. You, know, was, was he, you think you think you would know him. You've just seen him take a shower. You've been with him in the bathroom. You think you know him, but you don't really. Uh, ben Stein was, uh, was an easy and early choice uh, for, for the role of the teacher. He wasn't a professional actor. That wasn't his trade. Um, he had a, a flat voice. Uh, he looked like a teacher. Uh, he looked dispirited. He, he was a very bright guy, very very interesting, very funny, uh, and he was really quite brilliant at playing a, a dull, boring pre- person who's talking to people who are disinterested. Uh, this is sort of a nice shot of uh, that's really the only shot of Ferris in school, which he isn't even actually there. It's just his empty desk. That's really the only connection you have to him at school, and this is uh, a nice little moment of non-communication. She doesn't care what he says, he doesn't care what she says. It's just school. Fry. This is a very beautiful house. This is Cameron's house. It was uh, designed by a, uh, a student of Mies van der Rohe, who was, of course, very important to Chicago architecture. That's my hand. Um, <laughs> uh, I I needed a really overly dramatic uh, button push, and nobody on the set that day was really getting it right, So I. After, after uh, everybody left, I did it myself. If you, if you can notice there, his, um, the quilt, I, I, we were shooting, I realized that the, the form that that quilt had taken from him laying on his back like that looked sort of like a sarcophagus, so I, I tucked it in further to make it look even more so, sort of this Egyptian prince. Very nice piece of score here. It's one piece of music that goes between the beach and the, the crypt. Uh, that, that's my hand again. And a nice little piece of mourning uh, morning hair there. That little horn. And this is the first this is the first um first time I I played Ferris as being somewhat um superhuman. He was able to anticipate what uh, Cameron was gonna say there. Cameron was based uh uh in large part on a on a friend of mine in high school who was kind of a um sort of a lost person. His, his, his family sort of neglected him. And, and so he, he took that as license to really pamper himself. And when he was sick, he actually felt good because, uh, you know, he, he was legitimately sick. It was difficult and, and tiring to have to invent diseases. But when he actually had something real, he was, he was relaxed. Uh, this is uh, Mrs. Bueller at work. A terrible set. I never really liked this very much. This uh, this was really done to show um, Ed Rooney. Um, his his uh, he's a guy that 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 deals with children all the time, and he's really not very good at dealing with adults. then um, this conversation that he has with uh, with Mrs. Bueller is a little clumsy. Uh, this was a little ad lib bit. I just I, she she had a very uh, sprayed hairdo, and I thought it would be kind of fun to stick stuff in there. I'd worked with a woman when I was young that, that kept her pencils in her hair. There was a lot more stuff than pencils in there, by the way. There's a little piece of dirt there. And that was really so that he was so concerned about that little speck of dirt, it helped set up what was going to happen to him later. Very pompous guy. Um, he's really, he's really, he's the emperor of, uh, of this little kingdom of, of, of children. And when he speaks to anyone from the outside or anyone near his age, um, he's really not, he's not very good at it. I tried to delay, I wanted to delay his, his absence, his, his appearance, as long as I could. Um, the number nine is uh, another Beatle reference. It's also, a, it's, it's a funny word. When you say nine, you have to, you, 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 it becomes nasal. You know, nine, you have to say it that way. And it was a good word for him. It sounded very funny coming from him. I cast him off of uh, Amadeus when he played the prince. I thought, well, that, that, uh, that character was, his, his modern equivalent is, uh, is, is Rooney. Took it down to two, which was a good number. He had an interesting relationship with Grace. Here she is having. She doesn't drink coffee. She sniffs liquid paper. Had an interesting relationship with her. She drives him crazy, but she's the only person at the school that really kind of admires him. So he's sort of he's he's sort of stuck with her because she she does flatter him. She she thinks he's he's uh, he's smart and. You know, she buys a lot of his stuff. This was a, an ad-lib moment. We had a clarinet as part of set dressing, and Matthew said he could play it, which of course he couldn't. And that little line of his, which is my favorite line, is, it's his line. He never had one lesson. Occasionally throughout the picture, he um, slips into his little New York dialects, which I like very much. This is, uh, I asked Ben, we had no dialogue for this, I just asked him to, to talk about about economics, which we figured would probably be the worst thing to discuss—political economics—to discuss with with kids—and we, we talked about the Smoot-Hawley Act, which I thought was a really wonderful um, example of of, of, uh, of adults just making a terrible mess of things. These kids aren't just bored; they hate him. They really they resent him. They can't they can't stand him. She looks kind of like um, Alex in Clockwork Orange, there, and she's furious. She's she really she's going to get him at some point. He's uh, he's 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 probably bored. He's kind of a nice guy. I don't think he would be aggressive. And this uh, this is kind of a stupid joke, but I remember being awakened many times by my drool cooling. And this was good. She was able to to pop the bubble without blinking. Took a while. And we used uh, we used voodoo economics, which I thought was kind of a funny term at the time. And then the voodoo goes into I Dream of Jeannie with the blue tennis shoes. He, if if I don't know if you've noticed or not, but he changes clothes a lot. I wanted every time that you saw him, he was changing clothes. Because when you're home with the flu and you, you, you're sick, um, you know you really you, you, you amuse yourself in ways that you wouldn't normally. And he just changes clothes all the time. This high school is actually the Breakfast Club high school. It's the same hallway. I ran the the Breakfast Club kids down this hallway. It was in a it had been an abandoned high school, so we were uh, we were able to get it. These are all real kids. I wanted to use I wanted to use real high school kids and put the the main principal cast in who they're all in their 20s um, in this world of, of of real kids, so that uh, uh, the, 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 there'd be a greater contrast. You know, because when you're a kid, what do you want to be? You want to be you want to be his age. And this is a really good example of of Matthew, a 21, 22-year-old guy talking to actual freshman boys. And I I don't think I could have... I I couldn't have got it in performance. you got to have the the look and the the vocal tone that a freshman boy has. This was a really early um, uh, emulator, which he... Ferris being fairly technically adept, for the times, anyway. This is a nice little moment which speaks to... um, uh, youth's feelings about uh, about life and death you know Ferris is is dying, but she's in, you know, she wants to know if he's going to be around on a weekend Uh-oh. Matthew had a good time with this. Um, we had the actual sounds in there, so he was able to to really play with it and he, I think he he enjoyed it very much and she was just a just a, an extra who we gave the phone to she did a very good job. This is just sort of childish showing off. This is, here's his best camera take here. I enjoyed developing the relationship between Rooney and, and his secretary, Grace. Um, he's so serious, he takes himself so seriously. And she's uh, she's just this sweet, she's one of the sweet non-professionals who works in schools, who actually knows the kids, likes the kids, they like her. And he's, he's sort of... Um, he can't figure out why he's not he's not liked or respected. He, I don't think he really cares if they like him. He, he wants their respect, and he doesn't get it. He's very you know. I think he shows here how out of touch he is with his uh, with, with with the students. And she knows them all, and she she knows she's she has an understanding of how high school society and culture works. And a real key to Grace was she, she she she's very practical. And she takes things, um, you know, at face value. He speaks in cliches. He likes cliches. And, uh, you know, she, she interprets a lot of those cliches literally, which annoys him. I mean, if, you're trying, if, if you think of yourself as a very, very important person, and you have someone like Grace around, she just doesn't but annoy you. Just, yeah. And Edie McClurg, I, I, I've, I've used her a number of times in pictures, is really wonderful at this. Because a lot of this was, was, we made it up on the spot. We made it up as we went along. In this scene, originally, uh, Ferris is doing this little Modigliani on his computer, and at the same time, he's wired it into a jumbotron downtown in, 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 in the city. So as he's, as he's composing this mech this, uh, paint picture, it's appearing downtown, which was part of a larger theme. Uh, you know, any, any sorts of signs and jumbotrons were all, he had them all hooked up to his computer. I ultimately didn't use it. Terrible. A lot of shots of Chicago in the picture. I, I really wanted to. It was my city, and I really wanted to show it at its at its best. Cameron, it's my dad. Oh, great! This is sort of Ferris at the office, you know, working all of his uh, all of his equipment, and his uh, he's he's getting his plan together. He's starting to get dressed in his final outfit. And this is, this is sort of a nice moment of a father not really knowing how to, uh, how to deal with his son. He does, you know, he knows he should give him some sort of advice. So we, we, we sat around and tried to think of what would be the worst advice you could give someone with the flow. And we sort of came up with this idea of just putting a towel on your head. Uh, Lyman Ward is a very, very, very funny guy. Really good, light comedian. I like this scene very much. Um, you know, it, it, really, it really shows um, Cameron's uh, madness. You know, and, and he's he's, this is ridiculous. He's a passive aggressive uh, to the extreme. You know, he does he doesn't want to do this. He doesn't want to do it. He's 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 realizes he's he knows he knows he's going to end up with Ferris, and Ferris is going to do whatever he's going to do whatever Ferris wants him to do. And so the only thing he can really do is get angry, and he gets angry at his car here. I've done this a few times where you really just you just put the pedal on the metal and let the engine suffer a bit. He's furious, he's gonna go in the house now. He's had it, he's put his foot down. He puts his foot down a lot, which is really his problem is he, he puts his foot down and then backs off. And I like playing this, you know, with the with, with the the headrest in focus and him in the background having a tantrum. This is Del Close from Second City. He's wonderful uh, sort of father of improvisational comedy in Chicago and I didn't, really have any, I didn't really have anything to, uh, in the script for him, so we just sort of uh, worked it out while we were there. I wanted to use lots of clichés and lots of very corny things. Prison, putting bars through the word prison. and He, uh, he had an idea to uh, uh, come up with a really annoying speech pattern, which is that you put the pauses in the wrong place, which is a good way to put people to sleep. There's a few sleeping there. This is also the Breakfast Club High School. And then this was the the old dead grandmother ruse. Which I which I used because it is it is such a it is you know such a common thing. You know, my grandmother died. And I, I tried to find um have, have them use the worst excuses so you'd say, Well, there's no way you could get out of that old excuse, he's gonna know it. And that's exactly what they were trying to do, is get him to to say that this is an excuse so that they can set him up for the next fall. This is Mia Sarah, she's was was really good, I needed somebody who could who was very pretty very elegant and and looked as though she could tolerate tolerate and control Ferris and here's grace you know with her um her sympathy getting in the way, I mean, she really believes it you know a hundred times a day kids say their grandmother's died and every single time she grieves for them, and he doesn't bite at all, which is exactly what what Ferris wants and he's he's about to He's about to step into a nice trap here. Jeffrey Jones was, was, I I can't imagine anybody else playing this part. You want his daytime number? This is George Peterson. This is, Alan Ruck was doing an impression of a director that he'd worked with on the stage. And it was was sort of an in-joke between uh, Matthew and Alan, this guy's voice, I had no idea who they were, who they were talking about, or I never heard him speak, so it didn't mean anything to me. But I thought it was a very funny voice, and it was it was a good it was a good voice for a kid to use, uh, in playing an adult for you know for for a, for a teacher. I'm gonna set a trap and let him fall right into it. Grace is she's she's flattered him again. There, she thinks this is a he's he's brilliant. He's figured it all out. Bones on over here, and I'll dig up your daughter. You know that school policy. I like that uh, they're, they're both conspiring. You know, she's, she's she's participating in this thing now. I think that's kind of funny. Rooney's office. Tell you what, dipshit. This was, uh, we, we were trying to think of uh, words that, that he wasn't really, that he didn't really use in his normal vocabulary, like dipshit and white butt and pucker up buttercup, were not things that he would normally say. He sort of heard them in the halls. And we just held this close up for a long, long time, as long as he could go without blinking. And then he he really just plays it all with with his eyes. And I added these bells on the telephone, which was a little stupid, but I thought it was kind of funny. I had her hold that expression for a long time. Sort of nice to see Cameron uh, asserting himself here but he can only do it in the guise of someone else. He looks very boyish here. And that little twist, that little thing, little twisting motion was, was his idea. That really felt good for him to say that to this guy. But of course only in the guise of someone else. A camera will go too far. Now he's getting, he's getting really confident here, so he will go too far. I like James Bond movies, especially when I was in high school. She said, wait. this was this was great, running these two people in and out of Rooney? out of that room. Now she's doing Rooney. Rooney, calm down.. Uh, just about uh, <coughs> I want my daughter out in front of the school in ten minutes by herself. Now he's he's gone too far here. There's a great face. Here's Pagliacci. We thought you know that sort of Rooney, operatic clown, Rooney. look he had a very, very rubbery face. He can make wonderful facial expressions. Now I'm fixing it. He's made it worse now. This sequence really shows how these guys worked together on Broadway for quite a while, and they really had they had some wonderful routines that they did together. And this is a perfect example of two actors who were really um, in sync with one another. I I, I really enjoyed working with with um, with Matthew, who had so much stage experience. So he wasn't he wasn't being Ferris; he was playing Ferris. And and his performance is, is it is a performance. Um, it You know, it wasn't supposed to be real. It was a, uh, you know, he's playing an ideal. And I think his stage experience really helped. And the, the fact that these guys had worked, you know, in, day in and day out on Broadway uh, really really made this scene, uh, made this scene work. It's the first time Cameron really stands up to Ferris seriously. And it's a, it's that Ferris hit him, you know, and, and, and embarrassed him. He's He's really embarrassed. I gave him, uh, I gave him uh, a Detroit Red Wings jersey to wear, because that's where I grew up, and Gordie Howe, number nine, was my hero. And I thought hockey was just not a sport that Cameron would be interested in. It was a nice little ad-lib moment. So I had him running down the hall, and I thought that that's... N- this kind of guy would not want anybody to see him panicking and running, so he stops in front of every door. Now this is. This is. Uh, Ferris is, uh, has uh, hit him, embarrassed him, and now he's drawing him back in, and making him pay for his mistake, which is very important to the plan. Is he's got to get Cameron to to make a mistake so that he can get the car. So Cameron has to pay for his uh, for his getting too confident with Rooney, and this is the price he's got to pay. This is a yellow song, I'd had it, I'd, I'd, I'd had it uh, in mind to use for a couple of years, but I didn't really find the right spot for it until here. Uh, the, the, the insert shots of the Ferrari were real um, uh, 250 GT California. The cars we used um, uh, in, the, in the wide shots were obviously reproductions, because there were only 100 of these cars, way too expensive to destroy. So we made, we had uh, a number of replicas made. And they were they were pretty good replicas, but for the for the tight shots, I really needed a, a real one. So we brought one into the into the stage and shot the inserts with it. That. that little uh, uh, thing with his finger where he runs it along the car that, that that was a squeak with a woman's voice underneath it. And this is Ferris uh, Ferris really working hard on Cameron here. He really wants to drive this car. This car this car is, was made for him. And he played uh, Matthew played this uh, as if it were his uh, you know, as if it were his first date. I mean the woman the car really had become a woman to him. He'd probably seen it many, many times going over to Cameron's house and always wanted to take it out. Mileage, I think Cameron really wanted him to take it. He's offering him alternatives here. These were this was just Alan Allen, Ed Living, which I thought was quite nice. This is my old high school, actually. Ah, uh, this is I uh, uh, had uh, Jeffrey play this as if he was a funeral director. And we hear Ben uh, continuing his economics lecture. Could be the same class. This is just platitudes. Uh, we were just we we're just looking for these these horrible, you know, cliches to say to someone who suffered a loss. And she's uh, she's aloof. He's trying very hard to be. Sincere. I'll take grief. I like that she uh, she was able to play this um, with, with with such such confidence. I mean, she she owns him at this point, and I, th- I think I think she made it quite obvious. He's standing. He uh, stood always as if he were uh, were the funeral director. It'll tilt him. To tilt a little bit Are you and then they decided one well, now she's safe she's far enough away that they're they've they've, they've uh, escaped and they thought they just throw a huge kiss on one another here she lifted her leg like in the old movies Matthew was very good at um, I think it comes from a stage experience at entering and exiting frames and I, I took advantage of that whenever I could he would had a wonderful uh, body language the question isn't what are we going to do. The question is what aren't we going to do? The song was uh, by the Flower Pot Men. Uh, I'd gotten—I um, was listened to as much obscure English music as I could, and I thought this was a pretty good song. And it—you know—it was, it was called Beat City, and it had to do with, with, with cities and a uh, good guitar sound. And I thought I thought fit well. And it was—it was obscure enough to use. I never—I never wanted to use music that. That you had heard, um, unless unless you were listening to that kind of music, I didn't, I didn't want to use the top 40 stuff. And this was nothing but how pretty Chicago is, in the architecture of the city. We just took a helicopter up the uh, up the Chicago River. This was the first chance I'd really had making movie to get outside. And, you know, I mean, up to this point, I've done they've been, the pictures had been pretty small. This was a chance to really you know, use helicopters and slightly longer schedule and do some of the things that I wanted to do that I couldn't either because of the story or because of the budgets before and one of the things was I really wanted to show to capture as much of Chicago as I could in not just in in the in the architecture and the, the landscape but the but the spirit this is back this is again this is all these are all high school kids And then to put her as a, you know, she's 22 here, I think, in this context makes school all the more awful. I love this, it's very flat delivery. I made great use of answering machines in this movie. It would be different today, I guess. It would be voicemail, right? Or emails or something. Is that hairdo? No. Scratching your head with the pencil, which is this woman that I worked with who kept the pencils in her hair, also. You know, because you can't, you know, you can't really. Those those hairdos are so hard. You got to use a pencil to scratch your head. I did not achieve this position in life by having some snot nosed punk leave my cheese out in the wind. That was just a completely nonsensical line. I wanted to. I want. We made it up on the spot. I wanted him to just say something profound that meant nothing. So we thought. Leaving your cheese out in the wind would, would suffice. She loves when he's tough. He's going to go. He's going to go across the line soon, for which he'll have to pay a price. I don't know why I used the beret. I think if it were today, I don't think I would. Must have. I like Cameron's hat. I didn't care for this one too much. I. uh, uh, I met. Richard Edson, who plays the parking lot attendant, and I was just fascinated by him because every reading he did was completely different, and they were all really um, on the edge of collapse. You know, I think halfway through the reading, I thought he, wouldn't, he wasn't going to get through it, and he always did. And I, I, I thought that uh, there was something very nice and natural about it. He certainly looked the part, but he had also this, this incredibly suspicious look about him. Just not the kind of person that you would want to give a two hundred thousand dollar car to. It's uh, he's got a, he's got a very very interesting uh, style. Okay. Hey, no problem. But Cameron is entirely too polite to say no here, which is which is part of his problem. He's all about he's always doing what he doesn't want to do. This guy immediately senses that he's uh, that he's weak and just takes full advantage of him. Yeah, that last lingering touch on the car. See what Afinski can do to guy's attitude. I, I brought the deliberately brought the mother home just to make make it a little bit more difficult for Ferris. You, you know, really the uh, you know the game the game should be over now. I mean, if she's going to come home and go check his bedroom, um, you should think that it's over. We play this very arch music. The trophy thing that he was doing early in the picture, tying the string to it, was all connected to this. I like that there was a Union Jack and all these close-ups of the door. And around the door there, those I made those little uh, video printouts of uh, Jailhouse Rock. I used it as wallpaper. I had one of those video printers. I thought it would be kind of interesting wallpaper. That wasn't Jailhouse Rock. It was, um, I think it was his appearance on Ed Sullivan, I think, or Steve Allen. I don't think I needed this a little bit. Let's just, just explain it a little too much. This was um, we have uh, improvised this basically. They were just this was just sort of going to be a day of sightseeing. The guys on the right with the hats just showed up. They were not. We didn't bring them there. They were. They were actually there. Um, they were from Germany, they were participating in the German Day Parade, which we shot later. This, um... I was, I was always terrified when I was a kid of leaning against glass in high buildings, so I always thought it would break. This is kind of a nice shot because we get to see... you can see them upside down and right side up. This uh, shot, this second unit shot, the guy actually got sick making this because they had to hold him over the side. And we used the we used the actual sound of their heads hitting the glass, which is kind of scary. I don't think you're allowed to do that. This was the um, the commodities uh, market, and this was something that just came up the day. Uh, Alan was watching all his hand signals and added this little piece. And this scene was really there just to um, uh, just to hit. Cameron's family situation, which would be important later. I think I might have hit it a little too hard. It's a little too obvious. I'd, I'd rather have done it differently. Well, no. young, and then Alan had that nice little uh, dripping sound effect that he made. And I like this. I like this. Uh, uh, this moment between uh, uh, Matthew and Mia where you know, sort of get married, and she sort of catches him on what he's doing there. You know, he doesn't. He doesn't actually want to get married. He's just. He's just kind of provoking her. A lot of that was was Cameron's self indulgence. You know, he's now playing the. Um, I'm from a. You know, I'm from a. I'm from a, a home with problems. Which, like I said, this friend of mine that I based the character on. Did that, sort of thing. It was always. You know, he would. He would always play for sympathy because he got no. He got no natural sympathy. So he was always trying to elicit it somehow. This guy was very good. He, he was a comedian out in Los Angeles. I liked him very much. He he, uh, he did a pretty good job of playing the snooty maitre d'. Kids and go back to the clubhouse. That was uh, Jonathan's line about going back to the clubhouse, which I thought was kind of funny, playing them very much as children. I have to get snooty. Listen, young man. This is sort of, you know, this, it hasn't worked for him, so he's, he's getting a little aggressive now. It's a little bit different than, than uh, any, any of his other reactions. His tricks usually go pretty well. This one wasn't going well, so he's getting a little aggressive. He can't, he can't lose. I mean, if he did lose, he wouldn't be Ferris Bueller. When I was done with this, I had absolutely no more telephone tricks left. He, uh, had, we did a little thing with him where wherever he turned, when he turned, he always turned the wrong way. You know when he walks up at the beginning of the podium he turns the the the, the wrong way. it's not the way you would turn. He, he turns the longer way, and just then in the hallway, he did the same thing. There was a scene i I, I cut part of this scene um, at the end they they uh they were ordering and it was in French and uh rather than admit that uh, they'd made a mistake ordering, they went ahead and, and ate it, and it was, it was sweetbreads and which turned out to be pancreas which is what sweetbreads are, and, and uh, Cameron had to eat it. He discovered what it was while he was eating it. It just didn't make him feel too good. There's a reference to it later when they're in this uh, in the traffic jam of the taxi cab. He, Cameron doesn't think he's done anything good that day. He mentions that he ate pancreas, which is a reference to the scene that was cut. This was a restaurant in Los Angeles, which we took over for the day understanding that makes it possible for people like us to tolerate a very pretentious kind of interior huge floral arrangements and here the, 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 this is this was them playing adults and when, when we shot this he thought he would he would do it as as a as a kid at a restaurant yeah. pretending that he's an adult You know, pretending that his that his water is wine and I mean there, there were these there were these um, references that we made often to to childhood I mean uh, Matthew played a lot of this as, as a child. This is a really terrible, <laughs> shaky, bouncy shot. I, I, it's not very good. It was on a, one of those big old Western dollies. We didn't have much time to do it, so it, the only thing you can say for it is that it's in focus. This was originally was intercut with uh, Cameron and eating his uh, eating his pancreas. Not his pancreas, the pancreas he was served. There he is. So he was eating it heartily um, and then discovered what it was and had a huge mouthful of it and didn't know what to do with it. So I, I took those moments and, and used them to to intercut with this uh, restroom, see? But what he was doing just then was, that was after he had discovered he'd eaten it and was trying to cleanse his palate. This whole long bit here is really just to support this little joke coming up here that his father's at the same restaurant don't know if it was worth it Can I Jeannie and Grace didn't get along too well you know this is um, she's a lot like Rooney you know, the different the difference is Rooney's an egoist and and she's she's insecure but they're both they're both obsessive and they're both aggressive and they they, they both tend to blame other people for their problems. We don't have the money. This is the homage to my old advertising days, having gone to many of those kind of lunches where you have to talk somebody into doing something that they don't want to do. It's a very stylized thing here. They put their sunglasses on they make these very deliberate the very deliberate exit. They're sort of um like those old uh, war movies. I've got to sneak past the, the Nazi guards. Didn't have very much time to do this. It was threatening to rain. So I only had a couple of takes. I didn't really get it. Perfect. I wanted, This cab, the, the cab that replaces it, isn't really stopped when he turns. A nice little piece of score here. Now, Ed has, has gone too far. He's left school. He's, he's made it personal now. This isn't a school matter anymore. This is, this is, a, personal, this is a personal issue. We, we found these ridiculous glasses that that flipped up I don't know why but uh, we made a little, a little bit out of it to score the, the the flip up and down of the glasses this is all uh, this is all of the, uh, the the thrillers and mysteries and spy movies that he watched coming back on them so pizza place in Brentwood that we, uh, uh, we used to go to with uh, with our kids which is no longer there uh, this is this is this is Rooney in the real world, and uh, it shows how poorly he fits. Uh, this this uh, Jeffrey asked me he thought it would be a good idea if if um, Rooney spoke a little French, and he had this he had this line that the game is up. to Rooney this is a very this is very important. This is a real uh, this is a real war for him. This isn't just being late for school this is you know he's 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 moriarty and he's got he's got homes where he wants them and of course it's not Holmes, and she doesn't go to school, so she he has no power over her, so she's free to spit in his face this was really this scene was really about how what an awkward person he was and how um Outside of school, he really was nothing. Inside of school, he was, he, was, you know, he, was, he was a man of, of, of distinction and, 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 and deserving of respect. But outside, he's really, he's really very clumsy and awkward and, and ill-equipped. He doesn't really know about sports here. He, he, he thinks he should make conversation with this guy here, who was actually... This, this guy was Porky on the original Lassie television program, which I watched when I was a kid, so it was kind of a big moment for me. But he knows nothing about sports. Uh, but he thinks when he's with a working man, he should talk about that. He also, we, when he threw the napkin, we, we had him do it so that it did not look at all manly, even though he was trying to be manly. Never was a Cub fan, never will be, but uh, Chicago White Sox weren't playing uh, day games. So I had to shoot at Wrigley Field, which is a very nice ballpark, but wrong team. this is one of those um, references uh, to the jumbotrons uh, as word of uh, Ferris's uh, illness spread around the city. Ferris had uh, gone to radio station and uh, talked about how he was going to be the first American teenager to go up in the space shuttle, which I had to lose. Um, The trailer for the film actually went out with some of that material and had to be recalled because the, uh, the, uh, the day before uh, the trailer was to play, which would be Friday night, this uh, terrible thing happened with the shuttle. So Paramount had to pull all those prints, and then I had to go and recut, remix the picture. The address on this house was my address when I was a kid. This is actually, the house is in Long Beach, which kind of bothered me, because there's some eucalyptus trees. But I was looking for something that had some deciduous trees. It would look somewhat like the Midwest. Running. This is a nice little moment for Jeffrey, where he's playing to a, uh, a recording, because he's come to the he's come to the house as a school administrator on official business. He's coming to confirm uh, uh, the, the the illness of a, of a frequently absent student. So he's 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 within his rights here, but he's soon to uh, exceed his rights. On the refrigerator there is a portrait of me, done by my son who was six at the time. One of my my more favorite pieces of art. He supplied a lot of my refrigerator art. I think I could have made him actually a little slower to learn that this was a trick. Now he has to decide if he's going to, uh, he's gonna go a little further with this. I think he thinks that he's got some license because he was duped at the door. I think he he feels now that he's he's justified in looking in the windows, but still a little nervous about it. I wanted to play this from inside the house looking out. Very nice little fall there. He was such a wonderful character because he, he he was so pompous and and, and so arrogant, and so you know so uh, thought of himself as being so dignified to take him and run him through all of this. Um, these Pratt Falls was was a lot of fun. And he was was a very, very good sport about it. This was uh, stepping into the soft earth or the mud, and then when you pull your foot out, this happened to me all the time, when you get your boot stuck in something, you pull it out and then you end up standing in the mud in your socks. And then he turns the. We just we sort of made this up as we went along. I, I wanted to take him around the house. I needed to get him from the front door to the back door, and I thought of every obstacle I could possibly get you know, put in his way to get to that back door. Because this is really about his his his, his decline now. And he's got to chase the hose around, and we just you know we let these things happen naturally. And Jeffrey did a wonderful job of just reacting to them. I thought would just increase the pressure on that hose, so it'll be hard for him to to grab it and then he actually split his pants here. He was he was really, he really enjoyed this. And this was a, this was a post-production thing. I, watching this car go over, it sort of looked like Star Wars, so we thought, here lies a very cheap joke. I don't know what we would have done if we hadn't gotten the rights, because I don't think there's a song that would have made this moment work. But we, I just wanted to show this sort of unbridled joy of these two guys out in this beautiful car. You know, his cars it was very seductive, you know, it seduced Ferris, it seduced these two guys. And then we're back to uh, Ed getting dressed, trying to get himself put back together. And then he's seen the, the doggy door. I sort of like the idea of a of a school official, very important person in school having to considering climbing through a doggy door in pursuit of a student. Which I thought was pretty good. Not knowing of course that they have a dog. We've heard the dog bark a number of times. We haven't seen it until now. This was very nice. This was now. This is this is Rooney and the animal kingdom, and he's just as as inept in the animal kingdom as he is. He really is, is. You know, this proves once again he's really only good in his office at the school, and, and Grace is really the only living thing that has any respect for him. He played this very well. I think. Now this got a little dangerous here because this dog, by the time we got to shooting him, was really pissed off. So. Uh, and, and Jeffrey had to get, get the uh, trainer between him and the dog very quickly. It was, it was fairly close. This, uh, this is a very, very self-indulgent scene of mine. This was a, this is a Chicago Art Institute, which when I was in high school was, was, was a place of refuge for me. I, I went there quite a bit. I loved it. I knew all the paintings. I knew the building. And this was a chance for me to go back into this building and show the paintings that were my favorite that's Picasso which is one of my favorites that's Giacometti on the right the old guitarist there's a Balthus on the left this is this I thought was very relevant to uh, to Cameron you know the, the tenderness of a mother and a child which he didn't have the uh, museum hadn't been shot in until we till we uh, approached them this is a nice little moment here these were all little improv things that we did at the, on the spot. These three Picassos were always my favorite, to put each of them in front of them. And then this this, this picture, which I always thought this painting was sort of like making a movie, you know, the point style, which are very, very close to it. You don't have any idea what you've made until you step back from it. Um, I used it in this context to see, he, he's looking at that little girl, which again is, you know, a mother and a child. The closer he looks at the child, the less he sees. Of course, with this style of painting, or any style of painting, really. But the more he looks at it, it, it there's nothing there. And I think he's, he he fears that that the more you look at him, the less you see. There isn't anything there. That's him. And then we This was a real parade. This was a German day parade. There's a lot of. There's quite a bit of German references in the picture because I the town I grew up in. Uh, had a lot of, had a lot of the original um, citizens were Germans. There's a lot of German street names, uh, a lot of Germans in Chicago. There I go in the back with my '80s haircut. Now Bueller was a German name. Uh, Garth Volbeck was a German name. I, I I used a number of those references, and then it just happened that this parade um, was a German Day parade, and it was an actual parade which we put our float into, unbeknownst to really anybody. All the people on the reviewing stand, nobody knew what it was, including, I believe the governor was there. He didn't know what we were doing. This is a nice little, nice little scene where he actually pulls up next to his father. And this is, this is Cameron whining and complaining. You know, Cameron, Cameron's always looking for a parent. You know, he's like a petulant child in search of a parent. And Ferris really, I guess, is his, is his, is his father figure and his friend. He's running down all the things that, that he's done for him here. Now, this is, again, this is, uh, this is this great rubbery face that he has. This is his monkey face now. He's doing, he's doing a primate face. He looks directly at his father. And I had to do this all in one. So I had, I had Matthew sitting there, and as soon as I got off of him, Matthew had to jump in the footwell, and she had to sit up. Um, I gave him, in, in wardrobe, I gave him a, a, um, a, a rabbit's foot, which I thought would be kind of a nice little, just a little touch. And then those two guys, while they were down in the, in the footwell, came up with this little bit of rubbing the... Rubbing the, uh, the rabbit's foot. What's he doing? It's kind of, a, he's kind of an icky moment, isn't it? Uh, he gave her a very good goosing here. This was all really natural. And then, of course, he's made it into the paper. I saw this hole in the door while we were on this location. I just thought his eyeball in that hole would be pretty funny. I've got a. Th- I've like, there's something about shoes. I don't know what it is about shoes, but I just think. I've done a lot of shoe jokes. And to have his, his. Teachers always had odd shoes, you know. And I just thought to have his shoe chewed up by the dog would be kind of the final humiliation. Um, like I said, this was a real parade. We shot it over two days. Uh, the first, uh, first Saturday was the real parade. The second Saturday, we did pick up shots. Oh, we know he went back to and Matthew lip synced this song. I, I remember that this was the most awful song when I was growing up. And every time it came on, I just wanted to scream. I wanted to claw my face. And since it was German, and I was taking German in high school, which meant that we listened to it in school, I couldn't get away from it. It just kept appearing. And we had, we had uh, I can't remember how many cameras we had. we had. We had positions up in the buildings, and we had people on the street. We probably had five or six cameras. The woman playing the accordion really f- didn't realize that we were doing a comedy. I think she thought it was a tribute to Germany or something. Uh, this was shot on the second day. Those are extras in the background. It's a nice little walk and talk with um, Cameron and, and uh, Mia Sarah, which you know, this is a little bit about their relationship. I think Cameron probably was secretly just desperately in love with her. And she's sort of a sister, you know. I, I, my my wife, who used to be my, my high school girlfriend, we were always, there was always three. It was me, my wife, and one of my friends, one of my troubled buddies. That's so a Calder statue behind him. Matthew, uh, Matthew got into this pretty good. And then we went to, uh, we went to Twist and Shout. And what happened... Um, for real was that people uh, from all, all over the immediate area showed up and were singing along. And uh, we got thousands of people. That guy, for example, was I, I noticed he was up dancing on a construction site and I told the second unit guy to grab it. The people, they run all the way down as far as you can see. It was at the end of the the end of the shot. We had this crane, and as the crane, as the crane came up, we, we realized, "Oh my God, we've got thousands and thousands of people." They were coming from from all over uh, the immediate area, and I thought it was a real parade, thought it was a real event. And then we used lots of local talent. This was a dance group that we used. We we held open auditions for people that did interesting things or unusual things, like him. That's my prop man. These were triplet lawyers, and that's uh, that's a Chagall mosaic. I try to show as much of this city, ex- the city, uh, the monumental art as possible. That guy up on the, the window cleaner was uh, one of our people. And this is really nice. These were just real people singing along to the song. It's very nice. It was, it was a really wonderful day. This is in Los Angeles, shot quite quite some time later. Paul McCartney had mentioned in an interview that he didn't like the horns on on this and that uh, if they'd wanted horns on it they bloody well would have put horns on it and i felt really bad because i you know I, like i had offended a beetle but if i hadn't it was it wasn't really it wasn't really part of the song it was that we saw a band and we needed to hear the instruments it was it was that they were playing along with it so i'm sorry i offended him but it did it actually charted It put the, this song went on, back on the charts it's the first time in years that a beetle song had been on the billboard charts I think Matthew, Matthew... Matthew got really invigorated by the crowd here, I think. That little thing where he fell back, um, he missed his cue and almost fell. This is Louis Anderson. I don't think Louis ever forgiven me for this. That was his, that was his role. I had, to cu- I had to cut it out. So now, now Rooney is accepting gifts at the... Uh, he's accepting, he's accepting uh, deliveries at the Bueller house. That was just a little ad-lib, I wanted to have something. And I thought the shaving a haircut thing was kind of nice. This was in my, the town I grew up in. We uh, I don't know how they let us do this, but they let us paint this on their water tower. I was there for a while, a lot of people remember this. If you go to this town, ask them if there was ever anything painted on their water tower, they'll tell you that it was, say, Ferris. This, of course, no animals were hurt. It's hard to get her to lay down like that, though. She discovers what she already knew. I, was kind of, I sort of enjoyed taking the two pursuers and putting... putting. Mis, mis, they, miss, they miss the prey but attack each other, which I thought was, was kind of kind of fun to do. And Jeannie's just she's just awful to everybody. If you don't, if you, if you if you don't give her what she wants or say what she wants you to say, she mistreats you. Now he's really, he's really, um, he's really crossed the line now because now he's in the house, and of course she thinks it's Ferris come home. So it's a little cat and mouse game here. This was shot. This was all in a house, in, in that same house in Long Beach. A little tight. But the the floor plan worked really well for for the picture. There's a little fly here. So we saw the fly. It had a fly sound. It actually was quite nice. It was an accident, but I thought it was kind of nice, in his condition, to have a fly chasing him around. Sped that up just a little bit. She couldn't run fast enough, so we had to speed the film up a little bit. You're psychotic. This. that, this was a nice. This was a. This was a nice shot. We, we originally shot Super Thirty Five, so it was, was widescreen. I was able to do all this um, in one without any without any um, scanning. But in in television versions, it uh, it had to be recomposed. The license on this was nervous. I I, I milked those license plate jokes pretty pretty hard in the eighties. I like to I, I just I like to deal detail things as much as I could. This this like uh, this uh, we could use this garage but we couldn't use her name so we made it Easy OK Park. No A one Easy OK Park, that's what it was. Look it's real nice that you hope my brother's feeling better but I'm in danger, okay? I am She did this very well. It's hard to it's hard to play one sided telephone calls. I thought she did a she did a really good job of, of making it appear as if she's actually talking to somebody. I think she was probably talking to me. I used, to, I used to usually did the other side of telephone conversation. This is uh, Charlie Sheen's character. Um, his family with the Volbecks. Uh, there was a little bit more to do with them, but I had to lose that with that space shuttle stuff. That his father owned the tow company. The, like the to uh, tissue in the nose was kind of a cheap joke, but uh, it was so funny. Yeah, I, thought, I thought, you know, his, his, he would have by now developed a hole in his, uh, in, his, in his pocket, so it was necessary for him to leave some sort of evidence that he was in the house behind. I thought it made sense to have it be his wallet. This is a really very sad, pathetic shot here. Reminded me, This reminded me very much of like an old 30s, you know, a little rascal or something, the end of one of the guy running down the road chasing, chasing the car. That's a very pretty shot down Michigan Avenue. I was a little worried about that. Cameron is very, very uh, relaxed here because he's got the car back, he's had the adventure, everything seems to be going fine. And Matthew's beginning to notice that there's a problem here. And Cameron of course remembers exactly how many miles. And between three and four Why? It's a nice little camera take. How many miles are on? We had a really hard time doing this. He he uh, it was very, very bright, and it was—it pain- was actually painful for him to keep his his eyes open. This took a while. Well, this is really just another attempt on his part to get some attention. Here we get a, a little hint of her uh, religious convictions. It's Louis again. This was very early in the shooting. I was, this scene was supposed to be done down at the beach, but as you can see the surf was was, was pretty bad. There's a little dock that we were supposed to ship here that we were supposed to shoot on, but it's underwater. So we had to uh re um we had, to, we had to redo it, bring it up, bring it up to this bluff. Um It was not a very good day. It was very very windy. Matthew this was very early in. He was he was a little uncomfortable talking to camera. The, the problem was he would see his his reflection when he looked when he did camera tech. He was he was basically acting to himself. It was like working a mirror, which was distracting. It was difficult to do. Um, we were both sort of feeling our way through this technique, um, and I was discovering as we were doing it that if he, that he once he looked to camera he had to stay with it. He couldn't look away because he when he looks at the camera he creates sort of the illusion. When he looks away he breaks the illusion and he, to to make it and break it uh, continuously was, was really distracting. Here he had to stare right up into the sky, which was extremely hard to do. I didn't want him to blink. Uh, she's very uh, very tender with him here. And I think he's really enjoying her attention. But his, uh, I think Matthew's discomfort with this scene and my, and my discomfort with this scene, I think worked ultimately. This, uh, this, uh, this actually happened to a, a friend of mine. The story's about about a, a guy, People you know. Him. You can see him wincing a little bit there, because he's looking right up into the sun. You feeling any better, Cameron? Now, this is, this is sort of Fer- Ferris' therapy, which is to help uh, Cameron, but but also do it somewhere where he can relax himself. Cameron, I could flip out real easy, too. What we sort of did with the scene was we didn't... This is We never identified where this was or whose house this was. I, I always presumed it was just uh, someone else's house. So it wasn't really Sloan's house. It certainly wasn't Matthew's house, and it wasn't Cameron's house. I they just sort of stopped and used somebody's jacuzzi. And it's really clear here that he, he's by looking up there. He, I think he indicates that he, that this is this is uh, he's doing this deliberately. This again, I think, is, is an example of these two guys having worked together a lot. Really, really playing it well. Hey, Kevin. Ferris Bueller, you're my hero. You're kidding? He gets genuinely angry here. He, he really does not like being one upped. Ferris is not is not a. He's not. He's not really a nice guy. He's 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 an interesting guy. He's an interesting person. He's not. He's not necessarily uh, virtuous. This was this was maybe the best. Day I had making this picture. I, I really enjoyed shooting this scene. I worked with um, Charlie's brother on Breakfast Club, and that was very similar. Felt very much like um, working with uh, with Emilio. Drugs. He was very good in this scene. He played it was very very subtle, very flat. He looked great, and it's it's Jeannie with someone that she just would never in any other circumstance even look at. And she's getting advice from him and he's and he's right. Everything he's saying to her is, is absolutely right. We made him up to look slightly uh sickly, you know, he didn't want a lot of color in his face. There's a wonderful vocal quality in this. And they uh they they really worked together well. There wasn't uh, there was no rehearsal on them. He was, you know, he's hired for the day. Came in just the day, so I think they, they really um, didn't have much time to work on this. I hate my brother. How's that? That's cool. But I think they, I think they might have worked together before. There was there was, just, there was just a really nice automatic with them. And part part of uh, Ferris' character that he, that he really he, he dealt with uh, everybody pretty much equally. So, so he can be as 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 close with with this guy as he can with Cameron or anyone else. He 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 had his his uh, his friends were from from everywhere in that in that um, high school social strata. He was from the top to the bottom. Excuse me. It's very painful to get advice with someone who you think is below you. And for Jeannie, most people are below her. She's really she's really very rude to him. It doesn't doesn't bother him at all. Somebody you should talk to. No, that this doesn't work. It it would be a wonderful um, thing if it did. It would it would have saved. Certainly, when I was young, it would have saved a lot of my friends. But uh, running the car in reverse doesn't work. By the time we were shooting this sequence, it was it was um, it was nearly October or was October. So we were. Uh, it was in the fall leaf color, so every day before we started shooting, we had to paint all these leaves green. and We had to be very careful we didn't knock them off. This is a nice little moment. This is... um, I think this says a lot about high school friendship. You know, it's so sort of painful when he says, you know, what are we going to do next year? These three people, have, you know, they've got a really close relationship. And there's a, I think that this, this, it appears as though there's a certain maturity to this, to this, uh, these three relationships. I mean, Cam, Cameron mentions that they've known each other since fifth grade, and uh, so, so I'm, I'm sure that uh, that she knew that when she went with, uh, when she started dating Ferris, that she was going to get Cameron too. It's a very nice little moment there from Alan, where he. Has to admit an expression that he watched her undress. This uh, we we got this house, um, which was actually it was actually a place where a guy kept his cars. It was built over a ravine in Highland Park, Illinois. And the uh, the fear with uh, the building um, in in breaking one of the window panes, as we would have to do, was that it would affect um, the structural integrity of the building, and that you know all the windows might break and these windows had aged so that there was a there was a tinting there would be a, a new piece of glass would be obvious so we had to remove all of the uh, all of the glass and replace all of that glass with new glass so that when we were done we could put we could put all put the original glass back not break the original glass because it had a, it had achieved a patina over time so it was Complicated negotiations getting this building, but it was really important. I mean, it's it's, it's very very unusual to find a, a a steel and glass Miesian building in the woods over a ravine. I mean, it was an absolutely perfect location. And fortunately, um, Ned Tannen knew the guy that owned the house because uh, Ned was a Ferrari collector, so they they had uh, they had something in common, and we we didn't have any problems. This Cameron. Uh, Realizing that that he has to stand for something, that he can't he can't continue to be pushed around. That was quite a good dramatic moment. And and, and he's a, he's a very volatile character. He's he's got a lot of anger. He's got a lot of frustration. He's, he 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 doesn't speak his mind, and then he then he whips himself for not doing what he wants to do. It builds up a lot of aggression in him. And the car has really come to symbolize his alienation. From his father, and he sees his father's care that he takes with his car, not 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 uh, um, not with his son, and that decision to kick the car. I mean, this is this is a, this is life-changing for him. And really, you know, you really see his his. You see not only how how frustrated and angry he is, but how how strong he is in a way. I mean, he's he's really he, he knows now he's 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 gone too far, and that he can't turn back from this this will define his relationship with his father for the rest of his life. And it's really temper. I mean, he's, he's lost his temper. We saw him lose his temper earlier with his own car. And now he's taken this extremely valuable car and taken, vented all of his anger on it. Now he's feeling a little guilty about it. Now he's realizing how what, what he's done and how much it's going gonna, it's gonna to hurt. But he's still, you know, he's he's willing to uh, he's willing to take it. I mean, this is what he did. He's not backing off. He has actually, I guess, taken a stand. Now, this is something that this is this is the only thing that Ferris hasn't anticipated. Everything else he has anticipated. He probably thought that Cameron would get caught taking the car out, and that he that he would deal with it as he should have to deal with it. It would it is something he needs to, to confront. But I don't think he realizes he would go. The, he didn't he didn't realize he would go this far. And now he's made it much worse. The car went out the window. We were hoping that it would clear the building. What we were afraid of is it would break the glass, the the impact would slow the car and it would sort of tilt and fall out. But it really actually shot out of the building and uh, flew over the mark that we were expecting, that we we had hoped for. It flew way beyond that and uh, fortunately hit a fence, which kept it from going off of this property onto another property. And the the town made us um, protect the the ravine, so every little seedling um, had to be uh, protected. We had to put down burlap, cut little holes to put all the little seedlings and trees coming up through it so that we could get all the glass out of the ravine. And we did not leave a single piece of glass in there. It was left exactly as we left, as as we found it. It was kind of a scary shot dollying up to this hole, but again this was all composed for uh, widescreen, and that was the car as it landed. We also didn't know what a replica car was going to do when it it hit, we didn't know if it was going to split, we had to use a metal body on it so it would bend rather than shatter like fiberglass. You can see there in that window how advanced Autumn was. Those leaves are fully turned in color, and at the top, the leaves are gone, which was shot a little bit later. We didn't need to paint the ravine. This is all painted. Now, this is, this is the first time we see Ferris frightened. You know, something's gotten beyond his control. And now he has to, uh, since he's set up the situation, he's morally obligated to, to solve it. And the real change in in Cameron's character comes when he rejects that and wants it himself because there's that moment when the car first goes out the window that he's it very is. frightened, and it's in the scene that he's found his strength. And I think I they have their friendship, I and mean, he's done, he's accomplished the day. When comes home. You know, if he didn't know exactly what the day was going to mean, uh, he he cool. put in motion circumstances that have led to this. I mean, he knew it had something to do with, with Cameron. And since it was near the end of the year, and that uh, their friendship was going to change when they graduated from high school. There was, he had something to fix in Cameron. And didn't know the specifics, but set up a circumstance where, where he did deal with what he needed to deal with. It was kind of nice to have, uh, to, to, to leave Jeannie furious with this guy, ready to punch him, and then come back. And in that, in that time, has uh, fallen in love with him. talk with her when we get home. Thank you so much. When I played in the theaters, I was, I was surprised that people got that. That was, that was a very good laugh. When they first kissed, you saw it way in the background there. <clears throat> That's a nice, she, does, she gives a nice look to Charlie Sheen here. Very nice motherly look. <laughs> a great look of anger and disgust. And she's very embarrassed now because she's been playing very hard, and now she, really, you know, her mother comes and treats her like a child. And this is really the first time that you see any innocence from her at all. Any, the, the softness in her, which really, which really sort of came from somebody just listening to her, you know. I, that was sort of a key thing that that, that she she's she, her problem is she's uncomfortable with herself. She's just not happy with herself. So she's even happy with her name. So she she, she uses a, a pseudonym. And there was a nice little thing in the score. The uh, the the the. the, the the voices in the background begin singing "Shauna, Genie, Shauna, Genie," which is kind of, I thought was kind of a nice touch. Oh, yeah. I like the maturity of their relationship. They seemed like a, a married couple. You know, there was no um, the the their, their, their romance is, is something deeper. You know, it's it's not it's not really what you were doing when you teenage. It doesn't have the urgency of of, of some early teenage romances. They're, they're very comfortable with each other. I think she enjoyed this scene. I'm not, I don't know about him. And now this is, this is just a chase. You. And we shot this all over the place. This took forever because we were, we were chasing the weather. Some of it was done in California, so it we done in various places on the North Shore suburbs of Chicago. I had um, three sisters when I grew up, so I know a lot about um, mother-daughter arguments. This is um, extremely deliberately contrived that they should meet, and they, eye to eye, and now this is the final moment. She's in the car, he's on foot, you know. Actually, the backyards, I used, I used these houses and uh, she's having a baby. And most of this was on uh, 16 Candles, Uncle Buck, they were all shot pretty much in this neighborhood. The beautiful houses. I love this uh, oblivious father. Uh, that's kind of a nice little moment. They should be facing the other way, but it was the end of the day and we were running out of, uh, running out of light. Like I said, it was a very contrived scene. The song, I had a, I had a terrible time. I didn't want to do a score because it was, it was a pretty long sequence. And, I didn't really have any ideas for a score, so I was looking for songs that could play. There you can see there's a palm tree, which drove me nuts. There's a palm frond that was cut off. I think it was cut off so it didn't show in the movie, and then they put it in a trash bin and set it in the shot. I found a song by the English Beat. It was a, it was a, a dance remix on a 12-inch. On a, on a uh, I'd been a, a big ska fan, on the... 70s and early 80s, and I found this song it was at the right length, had the right feel, and we just uh, was licensed it and used it here. It, it drew, you know, I, I need something that's going to drive this this scene because it wasn't, you know, it was chase, but it wasn't a high-speed chase, and there weren't really any stunts in it, so I need something that had had, had a little drive to it. This was a really contrived moment. I mean, he just actually looks at his father, his father looks at him. So it was sort of important up to this point that he played sort of that oblivious suburban dad. Hey. It was a nice scene. He actually ran through this house. A lot of this we just made up as we were going along. I know I, I knew that I needed some sort of chase. I think in the script I probably just said he runs home. So we added all these little bits as we went along. This was in Long Beach. I, I did this this uh, under uh, this is uh, uh overcrank shot so that I could get um, I could really I could really time things um, precisely. So if I had him hanging in the air, it bought me a little bit of time. So sort of a Everything. cheap trick. I, I kind of like that uh, he he's gone so mad that he's hiding in their bushes waiting for him to get home. How's fair. Sir? And his sister comes to rescue him, which was sort of the, you know, it's, it's, the, it's the idea that, um, you know, you can say what you want about your brother, but no one else can. So when it comes down to it, she's not going to let uh, Rooney walk off with her brother. And she's learned a few things from Garth Wolbeck That was a very nice little camera take there. This is a great little moment here. There's that little cough. I think Jeannie's learned a little something about, she's actually, she'd be quite good. She probably not she probably will, not go to school after this, several times. She certainly got the genes. Then the, the idea here was to do this very heavy score, as if it were, uh, um, you know, the the end of uh, you know some, some war movie, and the bridge is about to break up or blow up, and they have to they have to rescue themselves, and the train is coming, and, and all he's really doing is getting in bed. And what happens if he gets caught? Nothing. You know? So we we just we thought it was kind of funny to play it so so hard. And then all these, little, all these little pieces and parts had to match up, so he's going to turn the music off, which he forgot, and the baseball that he catches, the foul ball. But it was all done very arch. And I get that nice picture of Brian Ferry behind him. And it worked very nicely for him that, uh, from running and sweating, he appears to have a fever at the end of the day, So, which means he's probably not going to school tomorrow either. Now he's slipping back into being the little boy. There's a nice little thing he does here with, with the blanky. yourself worse. I mean, he's he's six there, and that's just what they want. This little thing—he bites his finger here. Yeah, well. Matthew's very, very good. I, this, I think this, this might have been this might have been the last day, or very close to it. I to get myself settled. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once When this played in the theaters, um, this was really, you know, this was, this was the point where people, that a, a beautiful smile. So just as the fade began, people started to stand up. And then this came on, and they thought it was just a title sequence. So they, some would continue out, some would stand, and then realize it's not over yet. This sequence actually had come in um, a little earlier, and I thought it would be it would be interesting to to really not um, end the picture where you thought it would, but to extend it as much as I could. And what could possibly be there's nothing worse for a school administrator than to have to have to ride the bus with the kids and suffer the sort of humiliations that they have to suffer themselves. And what could be stranger for for a kid on the late bus than to uh, look up and see the dean of students, in, regardless of the condition he's in here, get on your bus? I mean, it's it was it's a, it was sort of a, a, a wonderful moment of um, they, they had this they had this 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 thing between them. They both were um, startled that this was happening, that the teacher was on the bus and the kids were, and he was, he was humiliated to have to ride with them. I never rode a bus in high school, I was too terrified. I went four years without ever getting in a bus, even field trips. And these were all, these were all real kids. And we were able, we we shot the interiors and it started to rain, so we, we finished um, I don't know, two months later, in Burbank, and this other girl, we had uh, we had these glasses made for her that they were so thick and they distorted her vision so badly. I think I think she got sick or she was at least nauseous the whole time. And they weighed a lot, so she had to hold her head in a certain way so they didn't slide down. And I told her that she had a cold because I wanted her to offer him uh, her gummy bears, having um, just rubbed her nose and she's struggling to keep those glasses from sliding down her nose there they go i don't think he even knows what a gummy bear is he hates he he really you really see here he hates kids he just hates them and now he's 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 in he's you know he's he's right in the belly of the thing he's right inside of it. <laughs> It was was sort of uh, a nice touch that the bus wasn't in very good shape, so it kind of shook as it pulled away. And now people were... were, The ones that were standing were heading to the door, and they stopped again and had to turn back. And also people were coming in from the lobby when they they heard that the movie wasn't over. The studio also had no idea what this piece of footage was when they went to Daly's. They checked the script they didn't know what was going on and I thought it was important that um Ferris get everybody at the end of the movie you yeah. know he's 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 made uh, he's made fools of all of us.